0: Welcome to LifeBridge Online. Whenever it is you're watching this, we are grateful that you are tuning in and allowing us to minister to you. As always, we pray that no matter what you're doing, as you listen, as you watch, whether it be yard work or commuting to work, uh, we pray that the Word of God and the message that we have for you this week, the teaching from His Word, will just reach into your life. That it'll meet you where you are, it'll encourage, it'll convict, it will, it, it will inspire you to draw closer to Him. If you've been with us, you know that we've been going through a series called Core 52 where we are looking at 52 core passages throughout the Word of God. Last week, we talked about the prayer known as the Lord's Prayer. And of course, it's known as the Lord's Prayer because Jesus, the Lord, taught us how to pray. Like, that's it. It's uh, it's not a what to pray, but it's a how to pray. Because for the first time, as Jesus comes on the scene through the incarnation, people have direct access to God. They no longer have to go through a mediator. They no longer have to go to the temple with their worship and, and their, their offerings and their sacrifices. They have direct access to God. And Jesus is teaching us the best way the most beneficial way to leverage that relationship, and that is through prayer. Prayer is a big deal, and we know in the church world that prayer, it's often said there's power in prayer, and we believe that because we have direct access to the Father. Our relationship with God hinges on our very understanding and practice of prayer, so prayer is a pretty big deal, right? Um, do you know how many verses in scripture reference, uh, talk about, uh, teach on prayer, you know, since it's a big deal? That's about 500. 500 verses. In in some capacity, they, they're either teaching on prayer or they're talking about prayer, they're giving instructions on prayer, 500 verses. And that's a that's a pretty significant number when you when you think about it. Um, that's a that's a lot of conversation about prayer. That's a lot of modeling of prayer. Here's the thing: it's important for us to realize that number of of five hundred, and and just trying to wrap our mind around how big a deal prayer is, especially as it relates to our topic today. Wait for it. It's everybody's favorite. Money. That's right. Everybody loves it when the church, when the minister is going to do a series on money. And so today we're talking about money. And it's interesting that prayer, which is a big deal, it's our lifeline to the Lord. um, it, It is mentioned 500 times, but money is mentioned, referenced, talked about, 2300 times four and a half times more than prayer money is taught it's referenced in scripture Uh, of all the recorded teachings of jesus's ministry uh, everything that matthew mark luke and john record one third of everything they record him saying He is talking about money in some capacity. He's either using it as an example or he's teaching directly to and about money. He's teaching on what to do with money. This is fascinating to me. It's fascinating that Jesus dedicates this much of his time to the topic of money. You would think that it would be prayer. Since since prayer is the direct access to God, you would think that prayer would be the thing that gets Jesus' attention the most. Or, or maybe heaven. Since that's where we're going to spend eternity, you know, for forever moving into the future, that's where we're going to be. You would think that, oh man, he's going to talk about heaven. He's going to sell heaven to us. He's going he's gonna to describe and teach heaven in a way that we, we, we desire and long for it. Maybe... Maybe it's the opposite of heaven. Maybe it's it's hell. He's gonna talk about hell so much that he scares us into heaven. He doesn't talk about those things. He doesn't talk about his sovereignty near as much as he talks about money. Jesus knows the human spirit. He, he, he knows the flesh. Jesus knows you and I better than we know ourselves and he knows that money is a major obstacle to a healthy relationship. It's a major obstacle to fully developing our faith in him. Paul said to Timothy in the first letter, chapter 6, verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. The love and the craving for money, it's a root that leads to all kinds of evil. And Jesus knows this. And that's why in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is teaching, he brings up one of the more, if you will, important teachings about money. I think if you were to take all the lessons on money and you were to rate them, in my opinion, the lesson that Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount about money has to be at the top. So let's read that together. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, and then we're going to jump to 24. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them. And where thieves break in and steal, store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Then look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and be enslaved to money. Jesus is telling us that it's it's not wrong for you and I to possess things, but it is wrong for things to possess us. The sin of idolatry is dangerous, and when we treasure money more than we treasure God, that's exactly what's taking place. We are treating uh, money as an idol. And Jesus is warning in this text against the sin of living for the things of this life, this earth. If the heart loves material things and puts earthly gains above heavenly investments, then the result can only be tragic loss. The treasures of earth can be used for God, certainly. But if we gather material things for ourselves, we're going to lose them and we'll lose our hearts with them. So if you've been reading along in our core 52 essays, Mark Moore says that our lust for possessions and security is the single greatest hindrance to fully following Jesus. Whatever we own ultimately owns us. And I believe this to be true. In 20-plus in, in years of ministry, I have seen money ruin people, the cravings, the desire for money. Our lust for possessions and security is the single greatest hindrance to fully following Jesus. Whatever we own ultimately owns us. Church, that is why Jesus talks about money so much. So as we talk about money today, I want to teach you four four quick points, if you will. Uh, four points, and I'll tell you this, normally, normally we would turn this into a four-week series and we would stretch this out. So today, it's your lucky day. You're getting just some quick snippets uh, about what the Bible has to say about money. And so here we go. You ready? The first thing, the first lesson about money that you and I need to understand is that God is most concerned about our heart. Uh, yeah, I know I know where I'm talking about money, right? God is most concerned about our heart. That's why Jesus said, Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Wherever your treasure is. Church, where's your treasure? what what is your treasure what do you value what do you seek what do you long for the most do you treasure god more than money more than the things of this earth the world tells us hey we should follow our heart and as christians we often buy into that right like like the popular song listen to your heart you know the one, set sings it, I do believe. We buy into that thing that we are to listen to the desires of our heart. The world tells us to do it, and as Christians, a lot of times we do it. Jeremiah 17, verse 9, says that the human heart is one of the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked Hey, look, God is concerned with your heart because it is the most deceitful of all things. And he knows that if we're following the desires of our heart and we're listening to the world, that we are deceiving ourselves. We tell ourselves all the time that we can handle being wealthy. We can handle more money. We crave it. We want it. And and it's not going to change our lives. And it's not going to change who we are. What we say all the time that man, money is not a big deal. Having more money is not a big deal. I read this quote this week in my studies. Money doesn't follow our heart. Our heart follows money. Church, we can't buy into the lie that we can desire to be rich and we can long to be rich and serve God faithfully. It cannot happen. You cannot serve two masters. And so that's why God is concerned with your heart. He knows that he and only he can be the master that you and I need to choose. Hey, the second thing about money we need to be reminded of today is that it's it's not ours. Yeah, the money we have, the wealth that we have established, it's not ours. Everything belongs to God including man-made money, including the idols, including the, the, the idols of other gods that that are created and worshipped. God owns everything. The very fabric of the woven paper and the, the cotton, the linen that, that makes up our, our money, our currency, everything belongs to God. What's in your wallet right now, whether it be folding money or whether it be the coins or whether it be plastic, God owns it all. And there are several verses that point to this. Psalm 24, one is one of those. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. And I know this doesn't make sense because you have this week worked long hours. You you have sacrificed, you save, you invest, you manage your finances. And for all intents and purposes, we believe that what we have is ours. But God knows what you and I fail to realize. Everything we have belongs to him. He is gracious enough to give us the ability to work. He is gracious enough to let you and I make wages and make an income and make money. He's given us the task, however, of managing the blessing that he's given to us. Well, like the money, everything we have is his, but he has given you and I the task of managing the blessing. So, so, so we manage it. We, we, we have decisions to make. How do we spend it? How, how do we invest it? How and when do we save? Like, like when it comes to managing what he's given to us, there's a lot of decisions out there. And so God gives us wise counsel throughout Scripture. He he reveals to us the things that we should do and how we should manage the money that He is allowing us to have. And here's the truth. Here's something that you'll find reoccurring throughout Scripture. When it comes to managing the money that He has allowed us to work for, Cheerful giving is priority number one in managing money. Of all the wise counsel that that, that is found in Scripture, cheerful giving is priority number one. Of, of all the considering a cost and saving and and and, and All of the things that Jesus teaches about money and all the things that Solomon teaches about money and what everything that's in Proverbs, here's something that is most consistent all the way back to the early parts of the Old Testament and Deuteronomy. Cheerful giving is priority number one when it comes to you and I being managers of what God has allowed us to have. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Look at 2 Corinthians 9, verse 12. So two good things will result from the ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. So in this passage that Paul is writing to the church about money, he says that we should decide in our heart how much we're gonna give, right? Like, I mean, think think through that for a second. What is God concerned with? God is concerned with our heart. Where is the decision for us to give and how much to give? Where is that decision made? It's not made here, but it's made here. It's made in the heart. Decide in your heart how much you will give. Don't give out of reluctance, don't give out of pressure. That's why at the conclusion of our live service, when when we when we preach this teaching on Sunday morning, we're not gonna give the offering at the end of the at the end of the sermon because we don't want people to give out of reluctance or in response to pressure. God loves it when we give cheerfully. He is moved by our generosity. Look at verse 12 again second corinthians 9 it says that two good things result in the act of giving the first thing is the needs will be met the second thing the recipients will joyfully praise god and give him thanks you know this past week at church uh, my son griffin was honored uh, as a graduate and this year we happen to only have one high school graduate and, and so uh, we do a big celebration and we celebrate our graduates and the church just showers our graduates with love. And when we got home, man, uh, Griffin is is opening up the cards because, you know, those are the best kind of gifts, right? The cards. He's opening up the cards and he's he, he's counting the money and he's seeing the checks and the cash that's been given over and over and over again. And Amanda and I were just shocked. We were floored at the at the love shown to our son. And we just we couldn't believe the generosity shown to him. And we could not help but praise the Lord. We could not help but thank God for the blessings that he has given to Griffin, but the blessings of the church loving our son. And it was all a result of the generosity by the members of this church. And here's the cool thing about generosity. And it's it's the third thing. Generosity brings blessings. G- the main teaching uh, throughout Scripture is that God loves cheerful giving. But But with cheerful giving, as we develop that, as we become cheerful givers, generosity brings blessings. Luke chapter 6, it's Luke's recording of the Sermon on the Mount, it's a little bit different, but here's what Jesus says here. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. pressed down, shaken together, to make room for more. Running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. I love that teaching about Jesus and generosity. <laughs> the, Everything, your gift that you give, it will return to you in full. Man, I'm not an investment uh, advisor at all. But I'm telling you right now, that is the best investment advice you will ever get. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. What you put in is what's going to happen. It's going to come back to you. Now... I gotta preface this. I gotta say this because this is not prosperity preaching. We need to remember not all blessings and not all rewards will be received this side of heaven. When we are generous, Jesus says in Matthew chapter six, we are storing treasures in heaven. We're storing these things up where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves cannot break in and steal. Our generosity allows us to store up treasures in heaven. And in our generosity, we, we must remember what God expects. Right? Like, I mean, part of the generosity is the is the giving. That's what, that's what we're told to do. But who are we to give to? We, we have this understanding, since we think the money is ours, that we're the ones that are giving a tithe. But here's what Jesus is saying in our generosity. We are to return a tithe. We are to return a portion of what God has given to us. Like we're supposed to give and we're supposed to give cheerfully. But we're, all we're simply doing is returning what he has already given to us. Since all we have is his, we're not giving him our money. We are returning what he has allowed us to have in the first place. This is important for us to understand. Uh, The Old Testament talks about the tithe. Malachi 3.10 says that we're to bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me To the test, church. God is speaking to His people, and throughout the Book of Malachi and through the prophet Malachi, He is addressing the number of ways that people have cheated God. In Malachi three, He talks about our resources, our our worldly goods, our money. He says, "For your whole nation has been cheating me." He talks about this tent. He tells us to test him. Man, did you know that in America, only 5% of Christians give a true 10th to Christian organizations? Now, you think about the church that you're part of, or you think about the congregations meeting where where you are as you listen to this. 5% give 10% to Christian organizations. The cool thing is of that 5%, 77% of the 5% actually give more than a tenth. That's 1.5 million out of the 247 million who claim to be Christians actually tithe. 1.5 out of 247 million actually tithe. It is said that if every Christian household tithed, that the churches in America would have a collective $139 billion more dollars in resources. Think about that. If every Christian household were to tithe 10%, there would be 139. billion billion dollars more in resources now i say this about the life Bridge congregation i believe that this church beats the national average i believe that there are more than five percent uh, of of the people here who tithe and i'm proud to say that as as leader of this congregation I went to our leadership team and our leadership team decided two years ago that we were going to test God, that we were going to give more than 10%. Two years ago, we upped our giving as an organization to 12 and a half percent. We're pleased with that. And next year, as part of our 10-year celebration, we're going to increase it again to 15%. We also have some cool ideas on how we're going to celebrate next year. And it's centered on generosity. As the minister of this church for 10 years now, God has always met our needs. And I believe it is because we have been faithful in being generous. Our first capital campaign as a church, was to raise $25,000 to build an expected mother's home in Zimbabwe, where moms can come and stay for next to nothing and receive the proper medical care they need the last two months of their pregnancy. We were $68,000 in debt, and as we brought two churches together and we started a new church. We didn't know what the best thing to do. And the leadership said, instead of focusing on us, let's focus on other people. And so our first capital campaign was to raise $25,000 to go towards this need. Shortly after that, we entered into our second capital campaign, and that was to eliminate our debt. And do you know that God blessed us with a gift of $30,000 from one of our sister churches in the relational discipleship network? Out of nowhere came the blessing of $30,000. Church, generosity brings blessings. And it starts with the 10%. It starts with the tithe. That's where it starts. And the more generous we are, the more God is going to bless us. The last thing I want to say about money, and Mark Moore points this out. Church, there is a direct correlation between our handling of money and our faith. That's true. There is a direct correlation between our handling of money, our managing of money, and our faith. A tithe... It, it's it's the first 10% given to God. It's not the leftover. He gets the, the first fruits principle, if you will. And here's the secret to this. Here's what this is about. By giving to God first and giving him 10%, it's, it is us saying that I submit to you as owner of it all. When we return a tithe and we choose to live on 90% of what God has given to us, It is an action step that says, I submit to you, God. It it is us proclaiming with our mouth that he is Lord. But it's really us putting our money where our mouth is. When we manage what God has given us well, he always gives us more. You can check out the story that Jesus told about the talents and that makes that point clear. Those who are faithful with what God has entrusted to us receive more as we manage well. Paul is discipling a young man by the name of Timothy. Paul reaches out to Timothy. He's already read, we've already read one verse and Paul reaches out to Timothy and instructs him on how he is to handle money. What Paul says to Timothy in chapter 6 of the first letter, starting in verse 17, echoes this point about the correlation between how we manage money and our faith. 1 Timothy 6, 17 reads, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Verse 18, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Here's what Paul is saying to Timothy. As you instruct... Those who are rich. Instruct them to not put trust in money, but for everybody to put trust in God alone. We're to use money to do good. We should be rich in our good works and generous to those in need. He tells us that we should always be willing to share. And then he says these things. And this is our faith. By doing this, you will store up treasures in heaven. And you will experience true life. Church, Jesus talks about money so much. He instructs us on how to handle our money and where money should rank as far as a priority goes. He does all of this because he wants you and I to experience true life. And he knows that that does not happen when our heart values money more than God. Where? Are your treasures today? Till next week, we'll see you.